0: Well, I'll invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word, if you have your Bible with you or your phone, it'll be on the screen, uh, to 1 Timothy 2, uh, we will be reading verses 8 through 15 this morning. As you're turning there, uh, just a brief word of background, uh, this letter is written by the Apostle Paul to his young protege in the faith, Timothy. Timothy. And Paul wants to encourage faith and faithful living. And he even provides for this young protege an order and outline for worship. And so we see here this morning, as we come to the end of our series in leadership, another word about how God has ordered worship and leadership in his church. And so read with me from 1 Timothy chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. This is the word of the Lord. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Leadership comes in many forms, uh, even sometimes in gender. Back in February this year uh, in um a 41 year old astronaut named Christina Koch returned from a historic trip in space. Koch spent 328 days, 13 hours, and 58 minutes on the International Space Station. Uh, that is the longest space flight in history of all space flights. She traveled around the Earth 5,428 times and uh, uh, traveled over 139 million miles in the process in orbit. She worked on hundreds of experiments while she was there, like, growing protein crystals. That sounds like an exciting one, huh? Uh, She did it. uh, She also, in microgravity, grew uh, mustard greens, among other things. Her trip in space, though, uh, as a woman explorer, was not the only one. Uh, In fact, as a NASA engineer years earlier, she had actually spent time in the Antarctica and as well as the Arctic. Now, we should, of course, expect this from Christina Koch. After all, she got her undergraduate and graduate degree from that outstanding institution of learning, North Carolina State University. When asked why she took on such challenges with boldness, she said that she learned early on in space camp that she shouldn't be afraid and that she should take risks. And it's paid off right now. She is the most prolific space traveler of all time. Christina Koch is clearly a leader in her own right. Leadership takes all kinds of forms, even with gender. Now, leadership is what we've been talking about over these last six, seven weeks uh, at South Charlotte Press. And we come to the end of our series uh, on leadership called Follow, Lead, and Get Out of the Way, And we come to the end of a nomination season today for our first internal leaders. In the process of the last few months, we've talked about what a good elder and what a good deacon looks like in the church. They need to be good, look like shepherds. They they need to be lead repenters with godly character. They need to be servant leaders and lead servants uh, who lean in with the needs of God's people on a very personal and real level. And most of all, they need to be disciplers who have the courage to go and share the gospel even with the lost. They love Jesus, they love the lost, they love his, God's people uh, as a whole. But that brings us to a really delicate question today, a big question that we're going to ask, dare I say it, in our time, and it's this, does it matter what gender leads in the, ch- in the offices of the church? Does it matter what genders lead in the offices of the church? And if so, why? Now, right now, we live in a time where discussions about the abuse of power, particularly by men, and by, let's be frank, white men like me, are really red hot. In all the challenges of our cultural conversation, we've got to ask this question, though, as a church, what does the Bible say about who God wants to lead his church and in his behalf? What does that look like even among men and women? Well, First Timothy 2 points us the way as we look to this last issue, answering the question, who is God calling to lead us as officers of this church? So we turn to 1 Timothy 2, and we're going to get some insight on this question. 1 Timothy is a kind of how-to book that Paul gave to his protege, Timothy, on how to run the church. And... Uh, It kind of gives it, lays it out as a coaching guide on various issues. In chapter one, Paul highlights the importance of doctrine, of, of right doctrine around the gospel, being faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter two, he turns the tables and starts talking about what it looks like to worship in community together as believers. And look at what that how he highlights that in terms of gender in verses 8 and 9. This is what he says, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty, self-control, not braided hair, uh, gold or pearls or costly attire. Well, there it is. Paul jumps in and talks about how people should behave in the church. More specifically, in worship, in the sphere of worship. And we know that he's talking about worship because he's talking about men and women getting together. Uh, in a plural sense, he calls people to practice this in every place. We also know from the very beginning of the chapter, he starts talking about prayer, and he's talking about praying for all kinds of people in a very public manner. Therefore, this is a really this uh, uh, what he's talking about here in verses uh, uh, 8 and 9, are a continuation of this language and a call to ordering of worship. Now, I talk about worship in the context for a reason. I say this because there are many God-ordained spheres of authority in the world. You've got family, you've got government, you've got church. We could probably make a case for marketplace, but this is what he's talking about one sphere of authority in particular, the church, and this is a very important uh, distinction that he's making. Now, Paul takes us to an interesting place in how he talks about men and women and how they interact in church, and he makes a distinction, uh, particularly with men starting out. He starts by challenging men to pray with lifted hands in public worship and without anger or quarreling. Now, somebody might say at this point, wait a minute, what's up with the lifted hands thing? I mean, I'm not used to kind of, it's hard enough to pray. How do I pray? What's that about with lifted hands? Well, You've got to understand there are many ways to pray in Scripture. Uh, you can pray on your knees, prostrate, sitting. But here the prayer is done in public worship uh, with hands raised. Now, what's the deal with hands raised? Well, that's the international language of surrender. It's, it's a way of saying, God, I worship you. I need you. This is too much for me or us. We desperately need you, Lord. Lord. Not only that, he also not only has this kind of way of praying with surrender, but he prays it saying, Men, I don't want you to pray with anger or quarreling. Now, he says this because he knows us men. He is one. Because we as men, when we really want something or really are struggling with something, we get intense, we get mad. And why do men get mad? Because we're afraid. Insecure, feel incompetent, feel out of control. I know none of the men here in this place know what I'm talking about right now. Paul is saying, men, lead in prayers of worship before God by bringing all that you struggle with. All your incompetencies, all where you feel small, bring it all to the Lord in surrender. Now, Paul said that to men. Now, he turns to women in our text in verse 9, women are told to adorn themselves in two ways. And he says it, don't do this, but do that. He says, don't have braided hair, expensive apparel, jewelry. He's basically saying here, don't wear your money, or in light of the context that he's in, even in that time, don't try and be seductive, even in church. Instead, dress modestly. And this is key. Women ultimately want to adorn themselves with godliness, with a love for Christ, and good works in their their ways. Paul says this to women for a reason, and he says it in the first century uh, Ephesians context. You may not know that Ephesus was the center of the goddess Artemis, the center of the goddess uh, also called Diana in the Greco-Roman pantheon. And uh, there was a distinct culture of hypersexuality going on in Ephesus coupled with goddess worship. And so, just like our culture today, there was a kind of pluralistic chaos going on where there were different views of sexuality and very different views of what it means to be a woman, even a man. Paul, in other words, was basically saying, don't go seductive. Don't wear your money and wow people. Instead, go to godliness. Kind of live in what true womanness or femaleness looks like as God originally planned. Now, you've got to ask this point. Okay, what's an application for us today? Because there is some uh, kind of overlap, but I want a larger application that we all, really ties to us not praying in anger as men as well as not wearing flashy clothes, among other things. What well, you've got to realize is in the worship context... We shouldn't draw attention to ourselves and steal the glory of Jesus. We are meant to point each other to Christ, not to self. And the very point of a sphere of worship is to focus on the glory of Christ like a laser beam. That's what he's getting at here. So, Paul makes this distinction on how men and women should act in worship. Then he takes a shocking turn. In verses 11 and 12, look at that with me. Here we go. Hang on tight, everybody. Let a woman learn uh, quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Whew! Holy smokes. That is a provocative text. In some corners, many corners of our culture today, Dem's fighting words. And I would bet there are some, especially women here, who can't help but bristle a little when you see this. And no doubt, there is cause to bristle at what Paul says. I mean, we live in an egalitarian age where hundreds of years of fighting for equal rights among women, even, dare I say, African Americans and other marginalized people are at stake. Moreover, we live in the Me Too movement age where powerful men have been called out on intimidating in abusing women. Paul is speaking something here that exposes a nerve for us, for all of us, in this room and even in this culture. So here's what I want to do. I want to explain this text and ask you to hear me out if you're struggling with it. If you are visiting or or if you've had a bad experience with men, I want to just ask you to hang with me and listen as I talk this through. Good people disagree over how to interpret this in the church, uh, but we think there is a particular way thing that Jesus is saying through Paul and how to run the church here. So what does Paul do? He starts with an apostolic command, let a woman learn quietly, and then he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority. We've we got to ask this point. And you've, we've heard this for years now, really, since the cultural revolution of the 60s. Is Paul just another male chauvinist elitist? saying that women can't teach? Or worse, is this setting up a system of oppression? Oh, Lord, we've been talking about that a lot recently. And, w- and I have to tell you, while oppression can happen in any system, and I mean any system, that is not what Paul is talking about here. What he's saying is in the context of, in the sphere of a worshiping community Women should not preach or teach with authority, the authority of thus saith the Lord, from the pulpit or in some authoritative manner and position. Men are called to speak with authority in the church. In 1 Timothy 3, the next chapter, as well as Titus 1, we could show other places as well affirm this uh, description of men as leaders in the church. You see, leadership takes different forms, sometimes even in gender. Now, someone at this point might think, and, and you've got to know, I understand this thought. Somebody might think, this is crazy. I mean, this is antiquated. This, this is what people did hundreds of years ago in patriarchal cultures. Why are we even thinking and talking about this right now? And you've got to know, I used to have similar thoughts, even as a young Christian. I held a very different view than what I'm about to articulate to you at one time. So I, I sympathize with your concerns. But you've got to remember, he's talking about a sphere of authority here, and it's called the church. And it's the church in worship in particular. We're not talking about governments or schools. We're not talking about the marketplace. Besides, Scripture makes it crystal clear that women can and should speak in many circumstances i got to bring up Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman, for example, the excellent wife. It says in in Proverbs 31, strength and dignity are her clothing. She opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness is on her tongue. You see, women don't lose their voice and certainly can be strong in the Lord. Indeed, the Proverbs 31 woman, if you read it, you go, holy smokes, this woman is a, a rock star businesswoman. If you've ever read that chapter, she's buying fields, she's negotiating deals. The point of 1 Timothy 2, in light of that, is that when a woman is in worship, she holds back on speaking with authority in worship. Now, Paul echoes this when he says, let a woman learn quietly with submissiveness, and I I know there's another loaded word, (laughs) submissive. Uh, And you have to think, you know, if you're a woman, you guys are submissive, are you nuts? What about patriarchalism? What about abuse? (laughs) We're in the age of Harvey Weinstein. Well, let's be clear what the Bible means about submission. It does not mean a woman should submit to men's sins. It does not mean a woman should submit to men's worldliness or worldly systems necessarily. In fact, I think I can make a case from Scripture that women should never be, ever be sexually, physically, emotionally, or systemically abused. It means we are to submit, in this case, to men's leadership for a greater good. See, here's the thing. Whether you're a believer or not, whether you follow Jesus or not, you already submit to systems in this world you submit yourself to the boss at work, hopefully for a greater reason, a greater purpose, a greater good. You submit to, uh, if you're kids, you submit to your parents. You submit to teachers. We submit to to, um, traffic and tax laws. Even though we may grumble along the way, we submit to them for a greater good. We all grant that there are different kinds of submission And often it's good for the whole, not just the parts. Well, guys, it's the same in the church. Even better, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, submitted himself to the Father when he became a man for our good, a greater good at the cross. He was equal to God, the Father, in divinity, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took the very nature of a servant Remember last week, if Jesus could submit even to death on a cross, he calls us to serve and do the same, particularly with the authorities that he's even put in in place for us. In short, Christian women submit to Jesus and his word first and always, then Jesus and the gospel he gives coming through his leaders. How then should we understand relationships of women and men in the church? Well, I want you to write this down, think through it, take it home, wrestle with it, even talk about it after church, and here's what I'm going to tell you. We believe men and women have equal dignity and faith, but different roles. Men and women have equal dignity and faith, but different roles. Scripture plainly teaches that women have equal dignity Genesis 1 says that both man and woman were made in the image of God, therefore having equal dignity. And that, by the way, would be just against any kind of patriarchalism that says that men are somehow inherently better or greater than women in their design. Furthermore, men and women are equal in faith. Galatians 3 says that in Christ there is no male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Women are rescued uh, by God the Father through Christ and therefore are his daughters. Let me say a word here to men and to the future male leaders of our church. No man should mess with God's daughter or he will be asking for a hurting from a divine and protective father. If someone messes with my daughter, well, they might get a healthy dose of street fighting Dean. Men and leaders, treat women in your life well and with gentleness. God's watching out for his daughters. Yet, while there is absolute equality and dignity and salvation, even for the daughters of the Lord... There is a difference in roles. How do we get that? Well, look at verse 13 with me. Look at what that says. It says in verse 13, it says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, Paul tells us a biblical reason why we should embrace roles. Uh, And the biblical uh, reason does not appeal to conservatism or liberalism. It appeals to the Bible and the story of mankind starting with Adam and Eve. That's who he appeals to. And what he's basically saying is this. God has set up the family so that men and women have roles. Men are the spiritual leaders of the family sphere. Remember that sphere? Men are to be the spiritual leaders there. That does not change going into the church sphere. Another way to say it, this is a functional role in marriage and church where two people can often discuss, wrestle with something, have a difference of opinion, but one person has to be the tiebreaker In the family, that's a man who leads. And then even in the church, that's the men who lead. Why then does Paul tell women to be quiet in worship? Because I know, man, I'm in that one. That one's like, ooh, even I would feel kind of uncomfortable hearing that. Well, he tells us the reason why. It's the sin of Adam, and it's the sin of Eve. The sin of Eve was this in Genesis 3. When Satan spoke, she stepped in and took charge with eating the forbidden fruit. But let's be clear, Adam's guilty there too. We often forget when we we don't read closely Genesis 3, and Genesis 3.6 says this, that the man was right there with her while Satan was tempting his wife. And you know what he did? He said nothing. He said nothing. You see, the sin of men can be anger or argumentativeness. But you know what the real sin of men is most of the time? Passivity, silence, saying nothing when something needs to be said. Courage is called for. So what's this got to do with us? Paul is inherently challenging men to step up, to speak, to lead in their homes and their church. I mean, look at Christ, how he led women. He actually dignified them when a first century common Jewish Pharisee prayer was this, Thank you, God, I am not a woman. They actually prayed that. What did Jesus do? He didn't pray that way. He leaned in and he loved women. He loved them by telling them the gospel and even talking with them. When in that culture there was patriarchalism, a lot of men wouldn't talk to women. Jesus so loved women that he even cared for their needs and leaned in with them, even with those who were sexually broken. You know what's cool about Jesus? He didn't use women. He actually leaned in and loved them in their struggles. He protected them. He restored them with gentleness. And here's the thing. Jesus is alive right now, and he's at the right hand of God the Father. He's still doing this. If you're a woman and you feel beat up, burnt out, and bedraggled by life and even by men, I got great news. There is a Christ who is loving you right now, leaning in and wants to restore you with gentleness, not the roughness you may have encountered. Ephesians 5 lays out a leadership model for us in marriage. It calls men to lead by nourishing and cherishing wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The analogy to leadership in the church, where uh, the leadership in the family transfers over to the leadership in the church, is this men don't lead in power trips in church. They lead with a desire to nourish and cherish, even to give up things for a greater good of the women. You know, I would bet if we men, even like me as a pastor and elder in the church, were to lead the way it lay, it's laid out in these texts on how we love women there would be no discussions about women's ordination because women just want to be loved well. They just want to be appreciated. They just want to be heard. There's a lot of, there's been a lot of trouble in our culture in recent years really around racism, around sexism. And you know what's missing in that whole thing? Right before the Proverbs 31 section, if you were to go back there in that Proverbs, the verses before that say to men multiple times the following words, Open your mouth. Open your mouth. Speak up for the hurting and the weaker, like women and here's the application for us in marriages and in the church today. We must speak and, like the Proverbs teach, learn to listen and listen well. And I got to tell you guys, I, I've, learned, I've been learning this the hard way for 53 years of my life. I don't listen well, and that especially showed up in my marriage in the earlier. years. Some of you have heard this story, but I'll tell it again. Early in our marriage, my wife is like a prophet, <laughs> she sees very clearly. She's the artist prophet who can just see situations and people very well. And at first I thought, well, she's just very wise. This is great. But then we get married and she starts seeing me. (laughs) And I'm going, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, Stop this. You need to stop being so, so suspicious and all this stuff. And I was trying to squish what she was seeing and what she was saying. And she was just speaking truth because she sees it pretty clearly. And so Finally, it took me a while to realize and some hard moments in our marriage to realize, you know, when my wife speaks, that's actually a gift to me. And it's a gift to everybody else. How do I build that up in her? How do I promote that and call that out and listen? Even though at first I'm like, where are you coming from? To actually sit with and think, okay, yeah, there could be something to this. Let's t- keep talking about this and let me learn with you. What I've learned through the years is great leaders learn to listen to women and then open their mouths for them. Great leaders will listen to women, and then the men will open their mouths for the women. That is what we need in our age more and more, courage to do that. So men are the biblical leaders in the church, but we do it with a desire to listen and to speak for women What this means in church leadership is this, we neither practice patriarchalism, nor do we practice egalitarianism, where everybody's equal in every sphere. No, we practice complementarianism, if you want to use the technical term, where men and women have complementary roles in the home and in the church. So then that begs our final question, what then can women do in the church? We'll look at verse 15 in our text. It says this, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Paul says this really weird thing, like, what are you saying, Paul? What are you getting at? He talks about this childbearing and that the woman is saved through childbearing? Is he saying women aren't saved by, faith through gra- uh, by grace through faith in Christ alone? But by a gender role and a work that comes out of that through their body? Nope, Ephesians 2 says we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Context is king. Paul has been talking about Genesis 1 through 3. Already in this text, when he talks about childbearing, he is talking about the promise The promise that was given to Adam and to Eve in Genesis 3.15 when God spoke to the woman a promise that there would be a champion, born of the woman, the seed who would come and rescue people from a life of power struggle, a life of isms that keep us apart. And of course, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus who came and rescued us. And not only did that... But even empowered us through the power of the Holy Spirit to serve in various spheres with our gifts. That includes women. So, what we would say is in the sphere of government, women can be presidents, mayors, governors, you name it. In the sphere of the marketplace, women can be CEOs and leaders in their own right. We can have astronauts like Christina Koch, that outstanding NC State graduate. We can have great scientists and even scholars among our women. But what about church? Well, in church, women can use their gifts and abilities in all ways, even as leaders. I like what Kathy Keller says about women in the church, that they, women should be allowed to do anything that basically a non-ordained man can do. And that means going even beyond just children's ministry or women's ministry. Think of Aquila and Priscilla and Acts, Phoebe and the church at Rome, servants who give to the church in various and sundry ways. I mean, I have personally had some great uh, women, strong women leaders as administrative directors, missions teams leaders, uh, children's directors, you name it. And I have to say that the elders and deacons' job in the future will be to dignify the womanhood of women, just like Christ did. That's our job. The best leaders use authority to grow other people. That's what Jesus did with men and with women. Philippians 2 says that he even to death on a cross. Men and future leaders of South Charlotte Press, it's another time to call us to step up and lead. And you got to know, even this week, as I was praying in my own life, I saw some areas where I need to lead my wife better. We need to lead and love our women well. We've been given power to serve in our different spheres. Let's not lord it over them. Let's lead them to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have brought us What is a very countercultural word is indeed a challenge uh, to us, both as women and yes, even implicitly as men, and we pray that as you raise up leaders in our midst, Lord, that we would have hearts as a church to be unified around the Christ who gives us not only quality before the cross, but even unique roles within the church. Speak to us even now. We need your power and grace, and we need you to lead us, even as we come to the table. In Christ's name, amen.